Hello there and welcome into this edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First, it's Jim Garlow of Wellversed and former pastor of a large church in California. In a recent conversation, he shared his response to restrictions in California, which seem to have come down disproportionately on churches and provided insight into the troubled times in which we're living. You'll be hearing from that conversation coming up. Then, Carrie Stewart Parks brings her background as a forensic artist into her books that integrate a Christian faith perspective. Her latest novel includes a main character who works with a forensic artist to exonerate members of her family. Find out more ahead. Also, Faith McDonald is not only a professor at Penn State University, but as a mother, walked with her college-age son through struggles with severe depression and is now dedicated to offering encouragement to parents in understanding mental issues. Some Christ-centered perspective is coming up. And on this edition of The Intersection... Upward Sports offers programs in partnership with local churches using sports to help develop Christian character in young people. It has a new leader. You'll be hearing some comments ahead from Kevin Drake. And from Family Research Council, Ken Blackwell, former Cincinnati mayor who also held statewide office in Ohio. In our recent conversation, he provided analysis and commentary about race relations and developments in that area. You'll be hearing from that conversation. Then, Reuben Evans shared with me recently about a new film about the spiritual realm based on a book by Michael Heiser, exploring elements of spiritual warfare and how Christians can be aware of and equipped for it. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Jim Garlow is the former senior pastor of Skyline Church in San Diego, who is heard on the Garlow Perspective radio feature. He is the founder of Wellversed, He discussed a wide range of topics with me recently in order to help Christians understand the times, a phrase used in the scriptures. He commented on restrictions on California churches in the midst of COVID-19 and shared his perspective on race relations and how Christians can respond to the current wave of racial tension. From that overall conversation, here now is Jim Garlow. What is not being reported widely is if you go to the CDC website itself, the very CDC website, that list the number of deaths per week. On the week of April the 18th, we hit a high of almost 17,000 deaths. It has come down. The number of deaths have come down every single week from the end of April 18th, the week ending of April 18th, to the present, dropping by uh, not quite a tenth, but probably uh, they're about one, probably one-eighth of what they were. They have plummeted from the 17,000 mark to down 2,000 or so. So it's been an enormous drop that has occurred during that span, not being reported at all. So that raises the question, since the Constitution itself, the Founding Fathers did not address epidemics or pandemics, it wasn't because they were ignorant of them, because they knew yellow fever. They, they were clearly aware at the time of the uh, construction of our, our founding documents that there were issues like this, but they put it to the states. The states then funded to health officers, as they're called, county health officers or to governors. Now, we would all respect them so long as reality squared with what they're demanding. But it's become excessive, extremely excessive. Once again, I underscore, I don't object to people like myself by virtue of age or having heart conditions or asthma, et cetera, uh, self-quarantine. 
uh, maybe 15% of the population, possibly 20% at most, and the other 80% could have functioned normally. And we know about school children, et cetera. What we know now is why people are no longer respecting what our governor is saying. Then, given that, he went way beyond. He first shut down services. Most pastors complied. Uh, then, he, then he came back not, not long ago. Now we're only two and a half, three weeks from him saying no singing, no worship allowed. And then he took another step, as we all know, last week saying, no, you can't even meet inside anymore. Now, fortunately, at that point, courageous, bold pastors uh, simply went against that and defied that. And rightfully, they well should. Uh, Cheon, a pastor of a church in Pasadena, has sued the governor. Well, many have sued the governor, but he sued specifically because if you read the full document, even in-house, in-home meetings are forbidden. Wilma hmm. Wooten is a is the uh, public health officer for my county, San Diego County. She made the declaration over a month ago there can be no home gatherings at all for the rest of 2020. This is how extreme these people have have become. It is ironic that it's the Democratic governors and the Democratic mayors that are exercising such severe overreach. Why is that? Is because COVID only touches blue states? No. It's because of a political philosophy of control and going way beyond the, beyond the Constitution. Hand in hand with that, what's caused other people to lose respect for this is over a thousand public health officials signed a letter saying demonstrating in the streets is fine, doesn't create a COVID problem. Well, that lost all credibility. And they, they chant and do whatever they wanted and scream in the streets burn, loot, etc., march, but that it was not problematic. And the governors backed them up on that exact thing, including the mayor of New York City, who said the same illogical statement. And then, if you added in the burning and looting and defacing, uh, continuing, the highest persons in the Democratic Party, Nancy Pelosi, and arguably AOC as a position of real authority in the party, both of them took the postures, and Nancy Pelosi's words were ah, just people being people, dismissing the acts of violence and the violation of the law. This is what is, makes it unprecedented, because in 1968 to 1972, we had lots of violence. We had protests. We had a lot of bombings. But Democrats and Republicans were united on the rule of law. We have lost our nation effectively in 120 days by rule of law and by uh, by uh, private property, there's five economic principles from Scripture that must be must be in effect anytime we have uh, national economic prosperity, and we're violating one after another. Already, the first two: the chopper chaz in Seattle, total disregard for private property, the dismissal by governors, Democratic governors, Democratic mayors of burning and looting, even as it's happening now in Portland, informing the president, "Don't you dare come in and try to stop it." This is a new day for America. That was Jim Garlow here on The Intersection. You can find out more information about the ministry by going to wellversedworld.org. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's Carrie Stewart-Parks. She is a forensic artist who blends elements of her craft with her Christian faith in the novels she writes. In our recent conversation, she shared about her approach to writing and discussed her latest book, Relative Silence. Here now is Carrie Stewart-Parks. 
This conversation now bringing us to the most recent book called Relative Silence. So kind of set up the premise for this, if you would. Well, the premise was I was I wanted to start with an element of forensic art, which is the aging of missing children. And I thought, well, what if I had a woman who lost her daughter at the age of almost three, and now we fast forward 15 years, and what if she comes across a forensic artist and she has him age progress her, her daughter's face? And what if she then meets someone that looks just like the drawing? And what if she becomes convinced her daughter really didn't die? And what if, and what if, and so it's, um, and the woman, uh, her name is Piper. Piper lives, she basically retreated from life, and she lives on her family compound in an island, an imaginary island, off the coast of South Carolina. And I made the family like a very dysfunctional, if you will, Kennedy's, that is kind of cursed by a lot of bad things happening to it, Uh, extremely wealthy, politically connected, and with a lot of reasons to hide secrets. And so the relative silence is a silence about all of the things that have happened because they have to maintain their image. They can't have things show. So there's the family, dysfunctional family element. There's the forensic art with the aging of her daughter, Um, There's a shootout in which they have to do a composite. She's saved by a fellow who's a forensic artist. So they develop a composite of the shooter. Um, The dog, of course, is in Newfoundland because Mm -hmm. there's water everywhere. Uh, So those were the the different elements. And usually I have a biblical verse that I put on the page that moves just ahead of my writing that is the theme of the story. And oftentimes it's woven into the story through a quote or something, uh, sometimes at the beginning or the end. Um, So there's always that element that goes in there as well. Would you care to share about the maybe the biblical theme or at least what you want to to communicate through this book? Well, in this book, uh, the main character, Piper, has lost her faith. Uh, It's the classic question of how can an all-loving God... Uh, have let evil things happen. What is the purpose of of a child dying? Uh, the the uh, her cry for that reasoning, and she's given up on her faith. And uh, the people that are around her have no faith whatsoever. But uh, uh, her the male interest, a fellow named Tucker. Um, Tucker has a history also. So they're both struggling with how can an all loving God. Uh, let bad things happen. And through the course of the story, they find out the problems that have happened on Kurlu, the island, the problems that are within her family. And they find that, yes, uh, there is a loving God that loves them throughout, no matter what. And it's he's there just waiting for you to find him. And he's actually knocking at your door. <laughs> mm. So these these family secrets, of course, make for a rather mysterious element of the of the book. So is there is there maybe something that that people can take away from that that whole element? That seems to be a pretty big part of the overall book. Well, yeah, my thought. At one point, I remember reading a number of years ago about how the Kennedys had had their daughter, uh, Rosemary, lobotomized because they were so afraid 
that her behavior in public would bring shame to their family. And so they did that, and it was never spoken about. Um, the family did not tell the children. Uh, she had to be put in an institution for the rest of her life. Um, they took her life away from her. And I thought, wow, that that kind of that kind of wanting to hide something that they would find embarrassing instead of just saying, well, this is our daughter and we love her and, and this is the way she is. Um, I thought that was an intriguing side to it. What would it take for a parent to do something like that to their child just to maintain their facade? And so it's the mm. facade that people want to put out there that everything is perfect. Um, the, the chant that the family always said is the perfect family on the perfect island um, in the perfect life. And it was far from that. Carrie Stewart Parks here on The Intersection. You can find her online at Carrie Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T, parks.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Faith Tibbetts McDonald, a wife, mother, and professor at Penn State University, as well as the author of the book On the Loving End of Crazy, Finding Hope and Help to Face Your Loved One's Crippling Anxiety and Depression. She discussed with me her son's struggles with severe depression and how she, with God's help, walked with him through his times of difficulty. Here now from that recent conversation is Faith McDonald. The book is a story of what our family went to went through when our oldest son went to college and rather than thriving, you know, going to class, um, growing as a person, he didn't go to class. He shut inside himself and uh, stayed in his room, um, except to go out maybe and drink alcohol and um, just didn't go to class. I remember talking with him about halfway through the semester and he said, well, mom, I haven't gone to class. And I said, well, what do you mean? You didn't go to class last week or, oh no, I haven't gone all semester. Um, so, you know, lots of clues that many things were going wrong for him. Uh, for many years, we didn't know what it was. It was a very confusing time for our family. Um, our son failed out of college. He couldn't keep a job. He spent many days in his bedroom, in his bed with his covers over his head, just saying, leave me alone, leave me alone. And, um, you know, we didn't know what was going on. And so that was, that's, that's the kind of the crazy that I mean. Hmm. Um, took us a long time before we understood that he had a medical problem. Well, and as a, a professor at this time, at the, at the time that he went off to college, were, were you working in the, the field of education? I was. I was, a, um, you know, working at Penn State. I teach writing, um, working actually on, at the campus where our son was attending, but very large campus. Sure. Um, so I remember just running into him one time that semester, you know, that we hadn't planned. Um, but for me, it was, yeah, it was huge because uh, I always thought, well, who doesn't go to class? You know, we've paid for this education and um if you don't go to class, you can't pass, you can't succeed. So it was uh, very bewildering for me um, and kind of adjusting to the idea that, you know, he wasn't succeeding at this life task that, you know, we thought he would do well at. 
Well, we certainly want to talk just a bit more about Matt's journey, but from a standpoint, not only were you a a mom concerned about your son, you also approaching it from a matter of uh, from a perspective of of being an educator. So what were some of the emotions that you experienced during this time as you saw that your son was really having trouble getting on track? Well, first you feel, you know, or I felt perplexed, bewildered, kind of ashamed, you know, uh, just like, uh, I don't know how to explain it, just a real a despair because our son was, you know, really floundering, um, failing, and other people around me, you know, you would see them succeeding, and I would think, well, just go to class, you know, just get yourself out of bed, just get there. So um, lots of, I, um, you know, tend to be someone who keeps things to myself. So for a lot of years, I I just didn't talk about it. And, um, you know, that wasn't helpful. That wasn't healthy. That wasn't a healthy response for me. It was when I started to talk about it and share that then I was able to get um, help that I needed. Well, from a spiritual standpoint, how did you see God meet you in this time of of being perplexed and really, in a sense, feeling helpless? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, when you go through a hard time, you don't always um, feel God's presence. But, you know, when we went through um, the difficulties, it seemed like really when we needed it, um, someone would show up to kind of help. But there were many times when, um, you know, I didn't feel God's presence. But, you know, I I talk about it in in my book on the loving end of crazy. I, I tell the story of how, you know, we were kind of the high point of the book is where God really shows up for us. And then when I look back on it, I'm like, oh, yeah, there was, you know, an indication of God's presence, an indication of God's presence. And um, certainly he has used this circumstance to uh, change us all, um, help us understand in, in, you know, deeper ways how he's present when we go through difficulties and um, just really changed my heart. That was Faith McDonald here on The Intersection. Her website address is faithmcdonald, that's mcdonald.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. You can find the podcast in the Media Center. You can also subscribe via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Find out more at meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. The executive director of Upward Sports, Kevin Drake, 
discussed the purpose of the organization that partners with churches to develop church leagues in several sports as well as cheerleading. He also examined some of the challenges that churches are experiencing in light of the COVID-19 situation. From a recent conversation, this is Kevin Drake now. Our mission is really simple. It is to promote the discovery of Jesus through sports, and we do that in a variety of ways. But um, we're, we're a cross-centered organization that really come alongside churches as they pursue their own gospel-centered missions. And um, our, our uh, purpose is to equip them with the resources and, and help that they need to bring these transformational sports experiences to their communities. And so we come alongside churches and help them to really engage their communities. And you mentioned we have over 1,200 churches across the United States, and every one of those churches is unique and different in, in some ways. And so you know, we, we will tailor our messaging and our programs to help them to meet their needs, to promote the discovery of sport, and to reach people for Christ. Well, I know that those who follow sports, of course, this is a, a very critical week in the world of sports, just nationwide, as you have Major League Baseball that just got started again with some exhibition games over the weekend. The NBA is preparing to play at Disney World. Of course, you know the part of the country in which we reside. Uh, there's the projection about what's going to be taking place with college football this fall. But we also recognize that youth sports is such a vital part of our communities and the future of youth sports programs, what they are going to look like here during the late summer and early fall in many parts of the country are still in a, a state of flux. So what are you hearing from churches as far as they're carrying out the upward programs this this yeah. fall? Yeah, and, and you, you really touched on on I think the most important aspect of this this whole thing, and that is that the you know the COVID nineteen pandemic is constantly changing, and so if you listen or read or watch the news on a daily basis, you're getting new information, and and some of it's different from the previous days. So there's a lot of uncertainty around that. So what what we know is that based on you know the state and the region, there, there's no one size fits all approach to ministry engagement you know, in the midst of COVID-19. So, you know, our mission has always been and will always be just to be a good partner to our churches as they, you know, seek to reach their ministry goals. And, you know, we are all in a difficult and and challenging time. So we've taken some steps to help churches when they feel it's appropriate to be able to re-engage with their communities. And so a couple of things we've done. One is we, we launched a live webinar series called Uplift, and I would encourage your listeners, whether they're, um, they're a parent who wants to engage their child or whether they're a, a church leader, to, to really log on uh, to Upward.org and to listen to these Uplift episodes because they're really tailored to meet the needs of, that partners express to us, concerns that they had about reengagement. And, and they're just really candid conversations on a variety of topics that are really relevant to community ministry. And, you know, they, they in, encompass things like social distancing, and we've invited well-known experts in, in different fields like public health and pastoral care and communications, even sanitation and, and mental health to join us. And so, you know, we want to be a thought leader and, and be a great partner to our churches as they seek to re-engage at the time that they feel is appropriate. 
So you mentioned the live webinar. It's available, as you mentioned, through the Upward.org website, the name of the, the mm-hmm. webinar, Uplift. And these, mm-hmm. as I perceive, Kevin, are, are more than just maybe training churches how to do an Upward program here in the next few months. This actually gets to the heart of what many church and community leaders are, are facing, it seems. It, it does, and you know, so we're. This isn't just an opinion that Upward would have. We've we've engaged these experts in multiple fields that can help churches as, as they seek to reengage. And you know, for our part, we've also um, really provided our church partners with extremely detailed league modifications, whether it's basketball or flag football or soccer. Um, you know, we've given them modifications so that they can prepare to reengage thoughtfully and safely. When the time is right, and what we're finding is that um, it, that many of our churches are reengaging now, and they're making plans to start fall leagues. Others have decided not to have leagues at all, and some are taking a wait and see approach. And so, um, you know, it, it varies across the country and you know by region um, on on how churches are are effectively you know reengaging in their communities. Kevin Drake here on the intersection. You can find out more through the website Upward, U-P-W-A-R-D dot O-R-G. Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Ken Blackwell, Senior Fellow for Human Rights and Constitutional Governance at Family Research Council. He has served as Mayor of Cincinnati, the Ohio State Treasurer, the Ohio Secretary of State, and Ambassador to the United Nations Commission on Human Rights. In our recent conversation, he provided analysis and commentary about race relations and developments in that area. Here now from that conversation is Ken Blackwell. We were very in the forefront of taking a hard look at what happened surrounding the wrongful use of force in George Floyd's death. uh, death. But it did not suggest to us that there was a, 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 a pandemic, a systemic racism, Going across police departments in America, uh, and so while we were while we were there looking at the numbers, uh, we we thought it was important to say that the real systemic, and the numbers bear this out, the real systemic and deadly reality, is that where black men and women are being slaughtered in cities and communities of color around the country, in numbers that can only be compared to war zones in Iraq and Syria. Uh, 95% of them were black-on-black crimes. Well, let's talk about, as we look at the agenda of the anarchists, as you said earlier, the agenda to fundamentally transform America. What do you think their America, what do you think they want America to look like? Because there certainly is a move to dismantle various institutions throughout our country. Oh, absolutely. And look, um, they are very upfront. Theirs is a socialist agenda uh, driven by an ideology of, of, of Marxism. And one of the things that we know from the study of, of Marxism throughout the course of history is this. And I, I, I use this, this juxtaposition. The second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. There within is the rub. Marxists believe that human rights are grants 
from government, not gifts from God. Hmm. We in this country have, in fact, recognized that our fundamental human rights and our human dignity are investments from our God. And so uh, Marxists, are, are, they, they try to run faith in God out of the public square, and they try to replace God with government, that an elite group runs, manages, and enforces to their benefit. That's been the that has been not only uh, the desire, it's been the demonstrated outcomes of socialist and Marxist-driven governments throughout human history. And so you see these Marxists, these anarchists, these, these socialists who actually... Uh, they, what, what, what they, what they want to do is 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 take the most prosperous, the most diverse constitutional republic in all of human history, and they want to, in fact, replace it with a centralized government that a a a, a, a an elite band of government bureaucrats run and manage. What do you see, and how can the church be involved in really making an impact, especially in these large cities where so many are struggling? Well, we got to push back. We cannot allow folks to run God and faith out of the public square. We have to realize that the family is the incubator of liberty. Uh, we have put a harness uh, historically on the reach and 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 and, and power. Of, of government because we believe in the transformational power of God uh, and the and the key building block to liberty uh, and raising our children is a family with a father and a mother uh, pulling together uh, for the benefit of that family. Pre- now, put God, keep God in our lives. That is the way. There is a biblical way. And we must, in fact, not abandon it. We must take a stand. Ken Blackwell here on The Intersection. You can find out more through frc.org. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Reuben Evans. He's involved with the creation of original content for Faith Life. In our conversation, he discussed the film of which he is executive producer called Demons, What the Bible Really Says About the Powers of Darkness, which is based on the work of Michael Heiser. From that conversation, this is Reuben Evans now. Demons is such an interesting topic, but there is so much misinformation out there. Uh, I've known Dr. Heiser for uh, well over a decade, and we've worked together on numerous film projects. We're taking a deep dive into what Christians commonly call uh, demons. He, he puts a, a little analogy together that I think is helpful. He says, you know, growing up, we kind of think about the spiritual realm as the white hats are angels and the black hats are demons. And that's about as far as we, as we go. But when you really start looking into how the biblical writers and the biblical audience viewed the supernatural realm, there are a lot more players on the table than would just fall into those two simple categories. So in this film... Uh, we talk with Dr. Heiser, and we take a deep dive into those black hats 
and get a better picture of what the uh, he likes to call the powers of darkness um, mm. really entail. It's fascinating material today. I do want to fast forward to really as we digest some of this material, some of the material that you present here in this film. So as we gain an understanding of spiritual warfare today, and of course, as we read, we see that Jesus encountered demons throughout his earthly ministry. We talked about that passage that the Apostle Paul wrote in the sixth chapter of Ephesians as far as putting on the full armor of God and this passage really characterizing some elements of spiritual warfare. So recognizing all this material, how does this really apply to our lives today? You know, I think that the most powerful thing to realize is that Jesus defeated the powers of darkness on the cross. As Christians, we are owned by Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within us, and we are possessed, as it were, by Jesus Christ. We're owned by him. And that means that if you've placed your faith in Christ, you can't be owned by Satan. That, those, are, those are mutual exclusives. And so I think that the number one thing that we should recognize is, is that although there, uh, Satan still has power, um, he is a defeated foe. Uh, in the, um, if, you, if you go on faithlifetv.com and you watch the film uh, Demons, one thing that you will see is that in the story of the Tower of Babel, God turns over the rule of the world, the nations of the world, if you will, to individual um, spiritual beings that are in rebellion because mankind has rejected God. But if you fast forward to the Great Commission, if you remember, Jesus says, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. So go and share the gospel everywhere. You see, because at the resurrection, it showed that Jesus triumphed over the powers of darkness, and now they don't have the same claim of authority over humanity. And so for uh, for Christians, when we start looking at concepts like, you know, how deeply should I look into even the idea of, of demons and the powers of darkness? Is there something, you know, scary there? Is there something that, that um, you know, would bewitch us? I think the starting place is to recognize that all power belongs to Jesus Christ, and we don't need to fear um, uh, the demonic realm. Uh, um, as we are looking and pursuing truth, we can place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and know that that uh, the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us power and protection. Reuben Evans here on The Intersection. You can learn more about the film by going to faithlifetv.com front slash demons. Well, we are about to wrap up this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through the programming section at faithradio.org or by visiting meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the podcast. The podcast is available through the Media Center. You can also subscribe free via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. 
Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And content is absolutely free. Again, the website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.